0: This audio is from the Axis Church and is from our sermon series, "The Gospel of Matthew," following the Unexpected King. For more information about the Axis Church or its mission in Nashville, Tennessee, go to theaxischurch.org. For context here, before we just jump into the text that Miss Mimi read for us in Chapter 14, is this is following the incredible miracle of Jesus feeding somewhere between 8,000 and 20,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread and like five biscuits. This is a meal for maybe two people that, that don't eat like I do, okay? this is This is a meal for me, a meal for two of you, all right? And this he multiplies to be 8,000 to 20,000 people to where they're satisfied. Not only does he feed them to their, like, to their satisfaction, that there's 12 large serving baskets left over that he was able to give to each of the disciples. So this was incredible. This took a lot of the day to do this, needless to say. And then on top of that, Jesus heals so many guys, so many women, so many diseases were cured as Jesus ministered to these people. And then the, the disciples, they, they had to be tired from this day. And that's where we find verse 22. Look there with me. Immediately, right after the serving, right after the miracles, he made the disciples get into the boat. Now, Jesus knew what was up. If your theology doesn't allow you to have a God who can orchestrate things that don't look that great in order for there to be a greater good, then we, we need to seek the the real Jesus and the real God of the Bible, because here even Jesus sees and knows what's going on. And he makes them get into this boat, knowing all that's about to happen. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. I cannot overstate just how important it is to pursue God in prayer. To pursue him in prayer. Jesus removes himself, which that was his original intent. If you see it in context, he went, John the Baptist is murdered. He wants to get along to pray. The crowds follow him. He he feeds them. He, He heals them. And then he, now he dismisses the crowds and now he's getting along to pray. He's not distracted from getting alone. He gets alone and he prays. Now, when evening came, when he was alone, he was there alone, so hours go by here, it's believed, hours. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. The wind was against the disciples. We know there were at least the 12 in the boat, taking on an incredible storm. It's believed that they would have been approximately three miles out into the Sea of Galilee by this point. The Sea of Galilee being around five miles wide, close to the middle of this sea and the disciples were likely exhausted after serving and working so hard that day their hearts were probably heavy and I imagine that they would just want to be with Jesus and process what just happened with that meal that was crazy we don't even get to ask him these questions they're out in this storm he's not with them However, rather than be with Jesus, they're alone, and they're alone in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a fierce storm. And we read this with such ease. It's really difficult for us to even use our imaginations to consider just how terrifying this moment would be for these men, or that it would be for us. Not even Hollywood can portray accurately just how horrific certain life circumstances are. This is a moment where it would be difficult without it just being pitch black because it wasn't necessarily raining and lightning as much as it was the wind, which I'll unpack here in a second. It was just dark. It was eerie. There were all these waves crashing, and it was just, I mean, out in the middle of this ocean, out in the middle of the sea. It would be really hard to understand just how scary this was without being in that boat or experiencing something similar to this this moment altered these men's lives. Any of us would have been absolutely beside ourselves in fear. The closest thing we could have is like a hurricane out at sea in the middle of a hurricane. You see, the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, 700 feet below sea level. And so when the cool air from the southeast, rushes in. It displaces uh, the the air over the lake that's a little bit warmer, resulting in violent, sudden storms. And this still happens today. Literally, just in a a blink of an eye, this this storm can begin churning and tossing the water like if you took a a bowl or a cup and you just blew as hard as you could and you would see it just ripple and start to curl up and around. Imagine winds coming in like that across this sea in this bowl as it's in this middle of this ridge below sea level. Torrents of waves and winds in just a moment, much less in the middle of the night. These, men's, these, these men here were fighting painfully to stay alive. It's not a stretch to think this was over for them. They were terrified, working as hard as they could to get back to shore. And what I find here is that the darkness of the night, along with the presence of the storm, stands in stark contrast to the absence of Jesus. There was a lot going on right here, except Jesus wasn't absent. Well, yeah, true. You heard Mimi read it. And if you know the story and you read ahead, you'll know that Jesus is about to come be with him. But more than that, in Mark chapter six, verse 48, we have an account of the exact same story. And Mark says that, that Jesus saw the disciples working and striving and exhausting themselves on the waters and that they were, quote, painfully trying to get out of the storm. So somehow Jesus is aware and watching these guys as he's up on this mountain miles away. Jesus can do that. Jesus isn't absent. Jesus is present. Extremely aware. He watches them somehow from miles away. He knew exactly where they were. He knew exactly what they were facing. He knew exactly what they were fearing and exactly what he was going to do about it. This is ridiculous, okay? Look at verse 25. And then between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., that's how we know they've been working a while. Okay, this is in the middle of the night. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, it doesn't say that Jesus came to them in a boat. That would have made perfect sense, a big boat, even more with a motor, All right, that would have been even easier to understand and comprehend, even in this setting, than walking on the water for crying out loud. He didn't come to them in a a nice boat, a big boat, a rescue boat. He came to them in the midst of the storm, walking on the water. That really happened. A grown man walked on water. That really happened, y'all. Even, even the most seasoned Christian has to say, that's crazy. This can't get old to us. This can't be redundant. This can't be flannel graph or for the new generation, PowerPoint or whatever multimedia thing. Flannel graph was awesome, y'all. You could make him upside down if you wanted to. It was so cool. Like without editing, he just, boom, Jesus is upside down. What do you think about that? All right, he's hand walking across the, no, okay. So this, this really happened. Like he seriously walked on the water. But when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water, walking on the sea, they were terrified. Man, that hit me this morning. They were terrified and they said, It's a ghost, it's a phantom. In other words, it's visible, but it's not material, right? It's it's something we see, but it it can't be real like we understand real to be. And so they cry out in fear. This isn't a phantom, (laughs) this isn't a ghost. Never has there been more of a man than the one who is approaching their boat in the middle of this storm. This man walking towards their boat is the creator, nature's creator. What we see here is that nature is subject to its creator. Jesus, walking on the water, was perfectly aware of every atom, of every molecule that he was commanding at that moment to hold his weight that's amazing he knew exactly what to command each element to do in order for him to accomplish this task of walking from that land to that boat in the middle of storm on the depths of the sea the creator of all things science is doing something that observers to science can't figure out Jesus knows exactly which hydrogen and oxygen molecule needs to be firmed up or manipulated or paired in order for him to be able to walk on it. This is its creator, and he's doing something miraculous. But to him, it's just doing it. Effortless. To the one who spoke creation into being. The one who created the idea of water. The one who created the atoms that would form water. The molecules, the elements that would form water is the one who's just making this happen as if it were a freeway paved all the way to the boat. As Jesus walks on the water here to be his disciples, they cry out in fear. These men scream out in terror. And then immediately, there wasn't a hesitation. They scream out in fear, and immediately Jesus addresses them. (laughs) Immediately. He doesn't wait. He doesn't wait for them to beg. He He doesn't wait for them to continue asking, okay? Immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart. In other words, be courageous, or be assured, or be confident. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now they have every right to be afraid and feel hopeless as they face this storm, let alone deal with this ghost-like figure who's approaching their boat. How in the world could Jesus say, don't be afraid, but be courageous, assured, and confident? On what grounds can we be courageous and not absolutely mortified? We're dying here and you're, you're the angel of death coming to us like we are freaking out. What's the answer? On what grounds can they not be afraid? In the middle of this raging storm, in the raging of this fear and terror, on what grounds do these men have to stand on to say, okay, I can be courageous, antithetical to how I'm feeling right now, absolutely courageous, ferocious, confident, poised, ready, steady. He tells them, it is I, that's why. It's perspective. Or even better, the better reading would be I am. It is I am. Meaning, I am God. I am creator. They heard this I am creator. I am sustainer. Therefore, you have no need to be afraid. I am and I am with you. In our moments of great fear, in our moments of personal anxiety, terror, and insecurities, may you hear these words and believe them. I am, I am with you. Therefore, you do not have to be afraid. It doesn't say you're not going to be. He just tells you there's no logical explanation for you to have fear because I am and I am with you. Notice the storm's still raging. Jesus hasn't delivered them from the storm. He hasn't removed the storm from them. He doesn't say, don't worry, the storm will soon be gone. Jesus doesn't say, don't worry, I'm about to, to settle things down. He says, don't worry, I'm here. Yeah, in the midst of this craziness, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the storm, I'm here. I am, don't be afraid. Also notice that Jesus is walking on the very thing that is terrifying them and exhausting them. All throughout scriptures, The waters represent judgment. Even culturally here in first century, the first century Jew would have had tremendous fear of the seas. Swimming lessons weren't something that was prevalent here, okay? They had a tremendous fear of this. This is the abyss. We don't rightly understand the fear that they would have had of just the sea had it been calm. Yet here, Jesus is walking on the waters He's walking on judgment, if you will, in control of it and in command of it. He is powerful. Let us not attribute to Jesus our own personal limitations. He is not as limited as us. He is not limited at all. And here he gives us a new and better perspective of judgment. He's not afraid of it. He's dealing with it himself. It is no longer anything that we need to be afraid of. Why? Gospel 101 says that because our judgment, which is the very wrath of God, that it was poured out upon Jesus in his death on the cross. And as he hung there, absorbing every last drop of the father's wrath, he did it in our place. The cup of wrath was poured out completely and fully on the Son so that we could be made sons and daughters, no longer receiving the condemnation, the due wrath or punishment for our failings, our sins. He did this for us. This is a very small glimpse of that, even here in this illustration of what Jesus was doing. And as if we needed any more drama to what is going on right here in this moment on these waters, our homeboy Peter... Does something awesome. (laughs) Verse 28. And Peter, one of the disciples, answered him, Lord, I love this. There's even doubt here. If it is you, like, I'm still not like, if it is, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus Again, I'm not sure if we can get close to what this would be like. I mean, if if you're one of the disciples and you hear Peter say this, you're kind of like, no, what did he he say? What? That's what I would think. But to be in this boat and to follow your rabbi as a a Talmud, as a disciple, as a follower of a rabbi in first century Jerusalem, this was logical. Your rabbi's doing it. As a follower, you do it. If he can do it, you can do it. If he can do it, you must do it or die trying because he is your rabbi and you want to be just like your rabbi in every single thing he does in life, everything. You want to do it just the way he does it in the way that he does it every single time. I don't think there was a thought in that boat about Peter being crazy. If anything, they're just like, I wish I would have asked first because they wanted to be with their rabbi And I believe Peter felt safer on the water beside Jesus than in the boat by himself. He wanted to go be with his teacher. This is the heart of a disciple. This is the heart of a follower of Jesus. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes to be with him in every moment, in every way. That's what I want. But when he saw the wind so he's cruising here unbelievable he's doing it but when he saw the wind he was afraid and begin beginning to sink he cried out lord save me in the midst of the storm still raging he's walking on the water But then he sees the wind and the waves and begins to be afraid. He begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. In the midst of experiencing a miracle, doubt is still present. This isn't about how to have enough faith. When you read about Peter here, it's not about how to have enough faith and how much faith is enough faith, but rather this is about Jesus being God and Jesus loving Peter in and through his doubts. None of us have perfect faith. Here, Peter is experiencing something remarkable, something miraculous in the middle of the storm. He's experiencing the presence and the power of Jesus, his rabbi his teacher, his savior. Yet in the midst of this highlight real moment in the life of Peter, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and becomes more concerned with the storm than with Jesus. This is what we call here at the axis, drifting. This is what we mean by the drift. You see, in life, as circumstances of our situations rage, as the storms of life crash us, crash within us, we're placed in a similar situation situation as Peter is here. We're at risk of doing the same thing. In the midst of following Jesus, we can focus on and we can fear so many other things. Life can be so soul distracting. It can be so easy to drift. And my hope and my prayer is that we do what Peter does here. You see, Peter, he has radical pursuit of Jesus. He has radical faith. This is nuts He experiences something marvelous with Jesus. He takes his eyes off of Jesus and he drifts to be consumed and concerned by other things. And he sinks in disbelief. And then Peter does something more incredible and significant than walking on water. Now there's fewer things that we could, there's really few things we could add on to a statement like that. Like on your resume, if you walked on water, I mean there's, you can hit a home run, you can, you can, get a good deal on something on craigslist but to walk on like to walk on water that's miraculous that's that's crazy yet he does something i feel is more significant than even walking on water he cries out to the lord saying lord save me i don't believe there's anything else better that you could say ever lord save me Whether you've been a Christian for years, or even if you're not one right now, if you're lost at sea, so to speak, if you're desperate for God to move in your heart, cry out to him, Lord, save me. As as I was preparing this, I felt like there was such a presence of fear and terror in our lives as people here at the Axis. Just from the life situations that I know of the ones in this room, the ones who make up our church family. There's fear, there's insecurity, there's anxiety, there's doubt, there's restlessness within. There's insecurities, there's terror. My prayer is that we wouldn't just try to work through it by ourselves, but we would look outside of ourselves to the one who's in control of all that we're facing. The one who can be present and bring peace through it. And that we would say, Lord, save me. Look at the response that Jesus gives to such a prayer. And Jesus hesitates. No, <laughs> I love that he, again, immediately reached out his hand. And he took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There's zero hesitation. There's no condemnation. He doesn't preach at him and let him suffer to teach him a lesson. He doesn't wait till there's bubbles coming up and then gives him CPR. He doesn't doesn't wait for there to be any more fear. He saves him. And now this isn't spoken in a way that a parent addresses a rebellious child. This isn't spoken in such a way that that a coach would scold a player. This is spoken to increase Peter's confidence and faith in Jesus. Consider it this way. What reasons did you ever have to doubt my power and ability? I had you all along. Nothing was going to happen to you. Why were you doubting? He catches him immediately. And this is a lot like when I take my little three-year-old, Elsie Grace, to the pool and she's jumping off the side. I don't want her to have a fear of the water. I want her to be able to swim and have fun with it. But there's always that fear around two or three when they're just trying to get used to living through drowning, you know? <laughs> and they're just like, oh, that's kind of scary, you know? When she jumps in, I, I have her immediately. I don't-, I don't like let her bob. I don't let her go under. It's like I catch her almost on her way down and pull her up as fast as I can out of the water. I don't want there to be that fear. And that's, that's what I feel like Jesus is at here in this moment is as soon as Peter cries out for help, it's there before he can even finish it. Verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So Peter and Jesus, they both walked back to the boat on the water. And I just wonder how often Peter had to say, yeah, well, at least I got to walk on the water. Like, well, people be doubting him, you know. Well, hey, at least I did it. You know, I walked out and I walked back. There was a moment in between there, you know, but, but I did it, you know. And those in the boat, verse 33, worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent all around to that region and brought to him all who were sick. And he, and implored him, they implored him that they might not only touch the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well, Jesus continues to love and heal the people this all is a big neon sign saying that Jesus is God Jesus is creator and lord he's over all creation creation and all of nature obeys his voice and the proper response to seeing and personally experiencing the power of God in the work of Jesus Christ is worship it's awe it's wonder there is nothing that limits or stands a chance against Jesus, not even what it is that you're facing, not even what it is that you're in the middle of that seems so powerful, so restricting, so debilitating, that causes such terror and fear, Jesus still is greater than what it is that you're facing. He says, it is I, stop being afraid. He calms their fear by stating who he is, identifying himself, and then their fears are banished at his presence. When they realize Jesus is present, they want to run on the very thing that had them terrified because of who Jesus is and the presence of peace that he brings even in the midst of the storm. It's amazing to see the difference that the presence of Jesus makes. My question is, have you experienced him? Have you experienced Jesus and the peace that he brings? Not necessarily through deliverance, but through perseverance, through storms, and the peace and resolve that you have, and the confidence, not that you're going to make it, but that he's in control of it, whether you make it or not. Our fears can only be dismissed as we look in faith to Jesus and have our hearts occupied with Jesus. If we look around, we'll be disheartened. If we look within, we'll be discouraged. But if we can look at Jesus, our, fear, our fears, they'll vanish. All things are given proper perspective when we focus on Jesus more than all things. All things are given proper perspective when we focus on Jesus more than all things. Don't allow your heart or the eyes of your soul to drift towards other things. Look at, be concerned with, be captivated by, and worship Jesus. Be in awe of Jesus. Look at Jesus until everything else does begin to get a little blurry as he becomes more crystal clear in your heart, in your mind. Jesus doesn't say here, it's almost over, don't be afraid. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to stop the storm, don't be afraid. He doesn't say, you know what, I'm not going to let you die in this storm, don't be afraid. He says, It is I. Do not be afraid. Again, regardless of the situation or setting, when Jesus is with you, there is no fear and there is no reason for anxiety. You see, perfect love offered through God, offered by God through Jesus, cast out fear, cast out anxiety. Consider 1 John. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Here's how we know love, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means wrath sponge. As as the father's wrath was poured from the cup, Jesus absorbed it all. He is the propitiation for our sins. He takes it for us. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected and loved. We love because he first loved us. He has paid your punishment. He is in control, more powerful than anything. He is present. He is with you. Look at him and believe him. The Lord is my light, Psalm 27 says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then echoes of Isaiah 41. You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then icing on the cake for our hearts today. Be encouraged by Romans 8. who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, storms, losing things that are precious to us? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Your storm is just a storm because your Savior is the Savior. And he's got it. Look to him. Keep your eyes focused on him. Jesus is present with us. Though we're exhausted, though we're fearful and afraid in the storm, even afraid of him, the disciples are even afraid of Jesus in the story there. Yet his presence changes things. Friends, Jesus is present with us through his very spirit. And I know that many in this room need to hear this. I'm convinced you need to hear this. Something greater is present than the storm you're facing. It's Jesus. Jesus delivers us peace that no other thing can give. And I know that it's easy in our lives to drift to unbelief and for unbelief to settle in. It's easy to drift from Jesus being our superhero it's easy for us to forget who he is and what he's done. And in our brokenness, we so easily drift from believing him that that the fact that of who he is and and what he's delivered us from and how he's, he's delivering us from sin and suffering and his overall things, it's easy to drift to forgetting that he's identified us by his work and effort and not our own. This morning, Please capitalize on this moment and cry out to him for clarity and perspective and believe him and trust him. You see what he does when we call out to him. You see what he did for Peter. He so quickly responds to the cry for help. He cries out because he had lost faith. He didn't cry out because he had the answers. Peter had disbelief. He had doubt. That's why he cried out cry out from your fear cry out from your doubt and insecurity cry out from disbelief just as peter does here and you see jesus come swooping into the rescue in your pain in your sorrow in your doubts and your questions call out to jesus lord save me acts family Join me this morning in believing Jesus a little bit more today. Let's seek him in his word. Let's seek him in prayer. Let's cry out to him for rescue. He'll do it. He will. Look at Jesus and cry out, Lord, save me. Let's pray. Pastor Jacob, come up as I pray, please. Jesus, would you please help take these truths to our hearts. Lord, help these resonate deep within who we are in our moments of life that are so difficult and distracting. Lord, please let these truths sink deeper than the pain we're experiencing or the situation that we're in. Lord, let this bring clarity and resolve to who we are and what we have in life and not the circumstances that we're facing. Lord, the pain, the fear, the terror that every single one of us are prone to or in the middle of right now in this room. Lord, what kept many of us in this room up late last night. Lord, what kept us from resting all night long and we just, just stumbled in here exhausted because of lack of sleep for days. Lord, those precious people with those intense situations. Lord, would you let them see who you are? Lord let them see clearly who you are and let let your presence bring perspective and clarity to what it is that they're in the middle of as you are the substance and the fears are just shadows Lord speak in our hearts in such a way that we believe you and that we rightly consider everything else in life Lord, do this for your glory and our joy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.